Well, we're following on from, from last week, and last week we, um, we looked at uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, and 1 Peter chapter 1 uh, kept reminding us about um, um, being self-alert, about being self-controlled as we, as we live in the now and not yet. We, we looked at the, the tension of being a Christian, uh, of living in the now and not yet, of, of earth and eternity. And as we look around at our world, as Christians, we're, we're challenged by what we see, but we also have a much bigger context, a much bigger picture that the Lord Jesus Christ has come and there is earth and eternity. And Peter writes the second letter and he's writing to the same group. He doesn't reference there in chapter 1 verse 1 but he does uh, a, a little bit later on in chapter 3 where he says in verse 1, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you beloved, um, to the churches, to the Christians in Cappadocia, Pontus, Galatia. Uh, of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And as he writes to Peter, what he's um, trying to emphasize is that he's confident in God. He's confident in, in God's power, and he's confident in, in God's word. And he is not fearing what is before him. He reminds his readers in chapter 1 of 2 Peter, in verse 12, to 15. He's reminding them, I, I, therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, that you already know them, you're already established in them. And he says, I, verse 13, I think it's right that I need to stir this up by way of reminder. Verse 14, since I know that the putting of my body will be soon. Verse 15, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter is saying he's soon about to die. He's about to depart. He looks at death as a departure. Life is an entrance into the two parts of life, earth and eternity. We live as Christians in this tension of earth and eternity. And to see one's life as, as that is, is counter to culture, isn't it? To see life as an entrance into, into two lives, earth and eternity. And to see Peter, to see his life as a departure, it's counter to, counter to the grain, isn't it? We tend to be so focused on, on the here and now rather than looking at life as two parts, earth and eternity. Let me ask you, have you ever, have you ever miscalculated something? Have you ever miscalculated something? As in you, you, you made um, an assumption and you got it grossly wrong. Have you ever miscalculated anything? I've made several miscalculations. I've made plenty of miscalculations. But uh, the other day I was sent down to the butchers. Uh, as you know, Sean is enjoying. Uh, I, I, she might not be watching this, but she's enjoying cooking. She's enjoying cooking really healthy food and making me eat. Um, have, you, have you ever heard of a, a, a low-carb pizza? Have you ever heard of a low-carb pizza? I was given a low-carb pizza. There was no pizza in it. It was fantastic. It was a brilliant con. It was a low-carb pizza, and she made me to. There was no pizza in it. But anyway, she sent me to the butchers, and she said, can you, can you go and get me some, uh, some gammon? Okay, I'll go and get you some gammon. So I went to the counter, and I said, uh, I would like this much gammon. And he said, are you sure? I said, yes, I'd like this much gammon. So he gave me this much gammon. Uh, and I was like, mm, not sure. That's what, exactly what I've been sent. To, but that's what you've asked for. 
And I was sitting there thinking, I wonder if my wife has miscalculated this. Is it seven kilos or seven pounds? There is a bit of a difference, isn't there? Have you ever miscalculated something? Now, don't get me wrong, I, I took exactly what she told me to get and she was right, but we did chop it in half. That's okay, isn't it? Just miscalculating some ingredients for a recipe or something. But for other things, to miscalculate more serious things can be disastrous, can't it? Peter is writing to these Christians in the light of false teaching. And he, in chapter 2, talks about these false prophets. He talks about these false teachings that are among them, verse 1, who is secretly going to bring destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. In verse 2, and many will follow. He's saying, I need to remind you of these things so that you don't miscalculate. Because if you miscalculate, it's not just dinner at stake. There's earth and there's eternity. He doesn't want Christians to miscalculate. He doesn't want Christians to misunderstand. He doesn't want Christians to, to get sidetracked. He doesn't want Christians to, um, to hear something that sounds good, but, but actually leads down a very different path. And therefore, in chapter 1, verse 3 to 4, he reminds Christians what they have been granted. First thing this evening is look at what we've been granted, verses 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. Look at what we've been granted as Christians. God's Divine power has granted all this. God's divine power has done that. And, and it's through the knowledge of, of him. And he called us, of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And then he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. What else? So that through those great promises that we become partakers of the divine nature look at what we've been granted as Christians it's through God it's through the knowledge of, of Jesus Christ it's through his calling not our own efforts he's granted us great and precious promises and what are those promises to be like him to be cleansed to be forgiven to be adopted into his family to have another life, a life where the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you and to be partakers of the divine nature. Not to, not to come to God and, and be with him, but, but to be partakers of the divine nature, to be, to be renewed in the image of our creator. And the result of all that, what we've been granted to escape the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Just look at what we've been granted. We've been, we've been plucked from the dominion of darkness. 
We were trapped. We were enslaved. The corruption, and we were, we were groping around in the dark trying to, trying to satisfy ourselves. But look at what we have been granted. Think of what the opposite of, of this is. To, to not be granted this. Think of, what it, think of what it would have been like if you weren't granted this. Just think for a moment how long you've been a Christian. Think of what life would have been like if you were not called. Think of what life would have been like if you had not been given the gift of faith. What would you have done? Well, you wouldn't have been partakers of the divine nature, would you? You would have been partakers of idols. You've been following after idols. You would have been following after your own desires, after your own heart. And for all of us, it would have been a different kind of idol. And what happens when we follow after our different kind of idols? Well, we, we become fashioned like them. So the rich man who came up to Jesus and, and wanted to have eternal life. Yes, he wanted to have a good thing, but when Jesus offered him eternal life, what did he do? He turned it down. Why did he turn it down? Because he was in love with his wealth. And he was more interested in his wealth. We don't know what happened to him, but he, he was fashioned by his idol. And even wealth, the Bible says, does not satisfy. Imagine if we had not been called. If, imagine by God's grace, if by his mercy he hadn't convicted you of your sin, of your need for him, what life would have been like for you? Trapped, enslaved, corruption, sinful desires, and just groping around and trying to find satisfaction, but never quite getting there. As chapter 2, 19 says, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption this endless cycle of succumbing to, to, to being enslaved look what we have been granted and we've escaped it having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires it's been granted and you've escaped the news at the moment is is full of that language, isn't it, of, of escaping. I wonder if you've ever thought about your Christian life. I wonder if you're listening and you've ever thought about um, turning back the prodigal son, or the two prodigal sons, as the, the first prodigal son had went off into a distant country and he squandered his, his inheritance and he'd finally realised the mess that he'd made he started to, to come back. He, he came to his senses, didn't he? God had brought him to his senses and he started to come back. I wonder whether he started walking back and when he saw his father running towards him, what would it have been if the story instead said this, that when he saw his father running to him, actually he turned around and went back? It would have been horrific, wouldn't it? Imagine after escaping this corruption, who would want to go back there's a sense of wonder isn't there about grace when you think of this is what God has done in and of himself nothing to do with us it's his power 
It's through the knowledge of him. He's called us. It's for his glory. And it's his promises. Would you ever want to go back? If you died tonight, as horrible as that sounds, but if you died tonight, and you went to be in heaven with Jesus, waiting for that finality of things to come when Jesus is going to come back and make everything new. If you died tonight and went to heaven and you had the opportunity to come back to this earth, would you want to come back? Look at what we've been granted in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Peter is reminding those Christians. Remind yourself of what you've been granted. Look at what we've been granted. Secondly, live increasingly, fruitfully in grace. Live increasingly, fruitfully in grace, verses 5 to 11. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And he lists off all these things. He's saying, because of the grace of God, because of what you've been granted through, through no effort of your own, well, now you make every effort. Now you make every effort to supplement your faith. Add to your faith these things he's saying look you're not saved by works no this is this is god's work this is god's calling but your work show you that your faith has saved you and you're to supplement what is you're to add to what is to what is lacking you're to make every effort to to add these things there's a heartwarming story wasn't there on the news this week of a of a 11 year old boy my son Elijah is only 10. You heard the story, didn't you? An 11-year-old boy and he, his, his, his mum wanted him to, to escape Ukraine. And she, she, she let him go by himself, but she had to stay to look after her mum. And she, she gave him a piece of paper with uh, you know, the, the phone number of, of his relatives. And, and he also had the phone number of the relatives on the back of his hand. He tra- travelled 1,200 miles all by himself. 1,200 miles all by himself. I wonder what was going through his mind. 1,200 miles all by himself, an 11-year-old boy, making every effort. Why did he make every effort? Well, well, he had to, didn't he? He had to, didn't he? He had to. Now, that's just one story. But if as Christians, we've escaped the danger of an eternity of God's wrath, how then should we live? If we escape the danger of as great as an eternity of God's wrath, how then should we live? Peter lists these things out and he says that these increasing fruitful qualities of the work of the Spirit, uh, moral excellence, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly affection, unselfish love we should increase in them and verse 8 says for if these qualities are yours and are increasing they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our lord jesus christ it's a form of worship isn't it that god has called us god has saved us and and we love him and and we want to follow him and we want to worship him and, and we want to be like him and we want to be with him they point to our response of our worship to our Saviour. 
there was a church that I heard about on, uh, on Monday. I was at a meeting. And uh, there was a church that I heard about that was uh, thinking about their response to the crisis in Europe. And they were thinking, well, well what do we do? What do we do with, with, with all these people that are coming to our country? What do we do? And this is what they decided to do. Um, they decided, well, we're, we're going to have to rent out rooms. We're going to have to rent out rooms to house all these people. We're going to have to rent out all these rooms to house all these people for at least a year. It's going to cost them probably in the region of $200,000. They, they don't have that kind of money. But isn't that brotherly affection? Isn't that unselfish love? And Acts 2 reminds us that the early church, as, as um, people had needs, they were, were selling things that they had and, and providing. It was a witness, wasn't it, to the work of God in their life. It was a witness, wasn't it, to the grace of God in their lives as they were being good earthly stewards. Imagine what could happen as, in, in our communities, in our villages, in our cities, if Christians, we were... We were showing more, in churches we were showing more of these qualities of, of, of unselfish love, of godliness. Imagine what could happen if, if, if we be more Christ-like and then others can see us being more Christ-like. Would, would it help others, just like it did in Acts chapter 2, to help others to see and then that they too would be added daily to the church? Wouldn't it be great, wouldn't it? If others too saw that, it's to be increasing because we've been called, we've been granted. And if it's not increasing, the reverse is true, isn't it? it Peter says, well, if these qualities are, are yours and increasing, they keep you from being infected. But verse 9, whoever lacks these qualities is, is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten what he was cleansed from, his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. You will never fall. He's saying, look, if, you, if you're not increasing these qualities, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten what Jesus Christ has done for you? He's, he's come to this world. He's, he's lived the life that you and I could never live. He, he's died on a cross, not for his sin, but for ours. Have you forgotten that? Have you forgotten what he has done for you. Or, if, if the, these qualities aren't increasing, maybe there's a question mark then about whether there's any certainty about whether your faith was real in the first place. You see, fruit in the Christian life, the fruit of the Spirit is, is, a, is a hallmark of our, our faith. It's a hallmark. And over years, over, over decades, and and some of you will know each other for, for longer than, than maybe I do or, or others do because we've been around for longer and we've been Christians for longer. You would see that, that mark of grace in someone's life. And you'll be able to see from period to period of, of how somebody has grown in grace. But equally and sadly, there are, there are Christians you and I know about, Christians that we need to pray for, don't we? Who at one time profess faith, but now... We're not sure where they stand. We can't take it for granted, can we? We're to, as Peter says, make our calling and an election sure. Be the more diligent. It, it, don't, don't be passive about it. 
but, but show that brotherly affection and, and keep an eye out for one another. Don't let anyone be caught out. Don't miscalculate. Have you ever drifted out to sea? You know what I mean? Have you ever drifted out to sea? Literally, have you ever drifted out to sea? Have you been on a boat, drifted out to sea? I, I drifted out to sea once. Did I tell you about a story I drifted out to sea once? I was on a beach. I was having a great time. I was surfing on a beach. I know that's, that's an image you're probably thinking, was he really surfing on a beach? No, I was surfing on a beach. I was surfing on a beach. It was a beautiful day. The sun was out. Golden sand. Everyone was having a great time surfing on a beach. And there I was, catching a wave, coming in, going back out, catching a wave, going back out. And I was having a whale of a time. And all my friends were there. It was a birthday party. They were having a brilliant whale of a time as well. Things were going great. And as things were going great, I got into a moment and a spot of bother and trouble. And I realized for the first time that I was much further away than where I thought I was meant to be. I drifted out to sea. And I was actually quite far away from from everyone. And by this point, I was struggling to to get back on my board and, and get back to the shore. And what I'd realized as I was struggling is that my board had snapped in half. It was one of those boards that was kind of covered in, in, uh, in, in fabric and the board inside had snapped in half. So I, I couldn't actually get on a board because there was no really board to get onto. You can imagine going under the waves. I'm not particularly a great swimmer. And I started to go under. And I was trying to get back up. And in the end, the only thing I thought I could do was shout, help! But I was too far away, wasn't I? I was far away from all the people that I'd come with and I drifted out to sea... And the only thing I could do was shout help. And thankfully, there was a strong swimmer that was just nearby me, and he came over to me, and he said, listen, I'm going to get you on your board, and as soon as I get you on your board, and the next wave comes, I want you to kick. Wave came, I got on board, and I kicked, and I made it all the way to safety. But you see, here's the thing. When I went back to all my friends, and I started telling them about the trouble that I'd got into, and I said, I nearly drowned and died, do you know what they said? We didn't notice because we thought you were having a great time. It's true though, isn't it? Why would they notice? I was having a great time. I was on my board. I was going in. I was going out. I was going in. I was going out. Why would they be concerned about me? Because I was having a great time. And that's often the case with being a Christian. Sometimes the people that we don't keep an eye on are the ones we think they're having a great time. But actually that can be when it's most dangerous. And we need to look out for one another. Not when things are going badly, because that's sometimes obvious, isn't it? It's when things are going great or things are not so obvious. We need to keep an eye out for each other. Because Peter doesn't want anyone to miscalculate that we live in this tension between earth and eternity and he's he's about to depart he's about to be with Jesus forever he reminds them he says look at what you've been granted he says live fruitfully increasingly fruitfully in the grace of God but finally he says be assured be assured of the truth of God's word here in verses 16 to the end, what does he remind them? He says, listen now, we're, we're not following f- cleverly devised myths. We're not following this, this man-made 
kind of uh, initiative, but historical truth that we're eyewitnesses of in verse 16, where we heard God speak to us, verse 17, there on the, the transfiguration, where we heard God say, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We, we ourselves heard this very voice. There is no shadow of doubt over the truth of God's word. There is a reliability that comes from the fact that God has spoken. And as we look at all of scripture, as we look at the Old Testament, and we can see everything that's been prophesied about being fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that verse 20 says, this has not come from someone's own interpretation, but it's come from God himself. And everything that we read about is authoritative and is true. And we can can rely on it. And we can base our lives on it. And we can fully trust it. That God does not lie. We live as Christians in the context of earth and eternity. And as Peter is looking towards the the end of his life. And he's looking forward to, uh, to departing. And being with Jesus, he's confident. He's confident. He's confident in God. He's confident in God's, God's power. That God's power has, has rescued him. He's confident in God's word in which he trusts because he's witnessed it for himself. And we have this same word here 2,000 years later. And when we look at Jesus, he didn't swerve and turn back from his mission. And all of creation now is groaning and is waiting. And we look out and we look at all the sadness and the anger that goes on in our world. And we're reminded this is the way to be fully secure. To be called by God to have his mercy. To pray for others that they too would have this mercy. That they would grow in Um, in godliness and in worship and they fully can trust in God's holy word one retailer just this week said um, they're not pulling out of Russia they they don't think they can pull out of Russia they they, they said oh look we we provide clothes you know it's it's a necessity we we, we can't pull out it's a necessity Uh, people have got to have clothes and I don't know what your opinion on, on, on all of this is But people have to make choices everywhere, don't they? In the whole world. Businesses have to make choices. Governments have to make choices about what is essential and what is not essential. And we have to make choices about what we can and can't live without. And as tragic as it might seem and as misunderstood as this might come across, when we look at those in the New Testament and we look at their needs and we look at their struggles and as we see Peter and John and as they they come and meet a layman in the book of Acts what do they say silver and gold have I none what I give you is this in the name of Jesus Christ walk as we look at people's needs as we look at um, the tension of living in earth and eternity we must pray for common grace mustn't we We must pray for common grace that God in his mercy and his goodness will provide. But we live in this tension. 
And as Christians, we also got to pray for this saving grace, don't we? And we've got to ask the Lord and say, well, how can we be used to be more effective for the gospel? And that we're reminded that in this life where we haven't yet departed, how is God calling us to serve him? It's a challenge, isn't it? It's almost exhausting, isn't it? This fight against the flesh to keep pressing on. But isn't it worth it as I come to close? Isn't it worth it to think about how we can be more effective in the work of the Lord? Isn't it worth it if just one soul this week was saved into the kingdom of God? And if just one soul through God's power as he works in us and through us was plucked as the dominion of darkness was called by God's divine power. Wouldn't it be great if just one soul, isn't it worth it? Do we need to pray as churches? Do we need to pray as Christians that however difficult it is, that we use the days that God has given to us before we depart to be with Jesus, that God would make us more effective for the gospel and that we would see in our communities men, women, boys and girls saved into God's kingdom. What does 2 Peter remind us of in chapter 3, verse 8, as I close? He says this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. As we come to close and we look around at our, at our world and we, we see all the challenges, all the problems, we're reminded that God is patient. There are Christians in this country. There are Christians in Ukraine. There are Christians in Russia. There are Christians in China. There are non-Christians in this country. There are non-Christians in Australia. There are non-Christians in Africa. There are non-Christians in the United States of America. This is a world full of people and God is a God who is patient. And his divine power has sent the Lord Jesus Christ into this world, into this broken world. And he has died on a cross. And he has said, anyone, anyone who comes to me, he will not drive away. Let's rejoice in what we've been granted. Let's pray that God would use us um, to grow and, and um, to be more effective for his work. And when we're, and when we're struggling to know whether uh, we really believe God and, and we really think, is any of this kind of, is going to happen, earth and eternity? Well, we're reminded that God's word is trustworthy and true. And he does keep his word and he will provide.